Today, Holy Church presents us with the splendid gospel of the miracle at Cana. We often reflect on this event in our weekly recitation of the Holy Rosary on Thursdays when the luminous mysteries are recommended. It's designated not as a miracle, but as a sign, according to the gospel's manner of speaking, and for good reason. It displays the divine power of Christ as a convincing clue to his divinity, that it might be evident that Jesus is God come in the flesh. According to an ancient tradition in the church, it is believed that three events took place on the same date. The Epiphany, then years later, the Baptism of Christ, and finally, this first miracle at Cana. All three betrayed his divine identity to the Magi, an epiphany, to the Jews, witnessing the Father's voice and the dove of the Holy Spirit at our Lord's baptism, and to the wedding guests when Christ displayed his divine power, changing water into wine. There are several significant points to be made about this miracle, and I will touch upon only a few of them. The first is that it took place at a wedding, which is not an insignificant detail. Marriage was the very image Christ used to explain his relationship with us. He loves us as a groom loves his bride. And he gave everything over of his to be one with her. He became espoused to his bridal church by his passion and death, a strange and unique way of gaining one's bride. But a clear indication of the lengths his love would go in order to win us. In the process, by becoming a metaphorical groom, our Lord lent a new reciprocal dignity to marriage, making it a sacrament by means of which a Christian couple participates in the life of God. Just as at Cana, Christ and Our Lady have a sanctifying presence in every good Catholic marriage, and they remain present in their Christian homes. Now, as the wedding celebration progressed, the old wine ran out. That was symbolic. It was in reality the old religion of the Jews which had run out, whose time had come to give way to the new religion of Christ. Not to be entirely abolished, 
but to be metamorphosized into the Christian faith, the Old Testament religion was elevated to the greater in the new. This created the superabundance of spiritual fertility of Christ's grace. Think of the significance of 120 or 180 gallons of new wine and you see that there's a deeper meaning to this miracle. It's a superfluity, an excess of grace and merit which Christ brought about through his passion which filled up to the brim far exceeding the requirements for redeeming fallen humanity. The presence of the Virgin Mary must not be overlooked at this wedding, for this also has a rich significance. In the first place, one should notice that without her noticing the wine's near depletion, this first miracle of Christ would never have occurred. This is an indication of the effective intercession of the ever-Virgin Mother in bringing our needs to her Son. Virgin most powerful, we call her in the litany. Jesus is obliging towards Mary, refusing her nothing since she refused him nothing, giving her whole life over to him. According to the telling of the gospel, our Lord acted as if he did not intend to perform this miracle, conceding to do it only because of Mary's pleading. Now, he, as God, certainly knew beforehand that he would do it, but it was in order to give us the lesson of her power to obtain from him whatever she asked that the Lord spoke as if he did not have this intention in mind. I often think of Holy Mary repeating in so many different ways to her son, even now, my son, they have no wine. That is, they are spiritually depleted by sin. They lack grace. They have no peace or consolation. They need food and life's necessities, and so on. A merciful and interested mother she is indeed. But note that Jesus and Mary were invited to be present at this wedding. Divine help comes by a summons, that is to say, through prayer. One ought not to be lax and presumptuous of God's goodness. Our Lady directs the servant, do whatever he tells you. This too was meant for our instruction. Mary always directs obedience to Christ. She never leads us away from him. Those who imagine 
that praying homage to Mary detracts us from a full devotion to Christ are highly mistaken. God gave her to us as a mother to intensify our union with himself. Anyone who has known the powerful influence of Mary in his spiritual life can attest how she brings him so much closer to Christ and never alienated from him. What to me, to thee? That's the literal word Christ spoke to his mother. It strikes us perhaps as harsh, as if he meant to say, what business of mine are your concerns? In fact, however, this was his way of showing that her concerns for our welfare are identical to his. What is to her is also to him. I'd like to offer my thought that this gospel's highlighting of the ever-Virgin Mary in the work of Christ is a signal for us in these critical times of weak and compromised, if not lost, faith to turn to Mary with a particularly intense devotion. The popes of the church have often had recourse to her in the most trying times because of the providential place she has in the designs of God. As at Cana, she has been present powerfully, however so unobtrusively, behind the scenes in the greatest conflicts and challenges the church has had to face against the plots of the demons. There's a striking example in the treasury of the church's prayer of the confident pleading made to our Heavenly Mother in a time of great need. This was in 1942 in a prayer composed by Pope Pius XII when the nations of Europe were at war. I want to leave you with this to inspire you in your own prayer to her. Holy Mary, we prostrate ourselves in supplication before thy throne in the sure hope of obtaining mercy and of receiving grace and timely aid in our present calamities, not through any merits of our own on which we do not rely, but only through the immense goodness of thy mother's heart. In thee and in thy immaculate heart, at this grave hour of human history, we put our trust. To thee we consecrate ourselves, not only with all of Holy Church, which is the mystical body of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and which is suffering in so many of her members, being subjected to manifold tribulations and persecutions, but also with the whole world, torn by discords, agitated with hatred, 
the victim of its own iniquities. Be thou moved by the sight of such material and moral degradation, such sorrows, such anguish, so many tormented souls in danger of eternal loss. Obtain full freedom for the Holy Church of God. Defend her against her enemies. Check the ever-increasing torrent of immorality. Arouse in the faithful a love of purity, a practical Christian life, and an apostolic zeal, so that the multitude of those who serve God may increase in merit and in number. Finally, even as the church and all mankind were once consecrated to the heart of thy son Jesus, because he was for all those who put their hope in him an inexhaustible source of victory and salvation, so in like manner do we consecrate ourselves forever to thee also and to thy immaculate heart, O Mother of us and Queen of the world. Amen.